This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious. Hello, and welcome to Beltway Banthus, a Star Wars podcast live from the hive of scum and villainy in our very own galaxy, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Stephen Kent. I'm your other host, Suara Saleh. And today, we're going to be having a state of the podcast address, or more so, an open conversation uh, between your two hosts about this podcast, everything going on in and around the country, and in Star Wars. We just kind of wanted to talk about some stuff today, uh, which we know is different from our usual format. Um, so let us know what you think about it. You can do that by emailing us at beltwaybanthas at gmail.com or connecting with us on Twitter. You can shoot us a message anytime at Beltway Banthas. You can also find us on Facebook. We really do love to hear from you, and that feedback is important. So without further ado, like we're just going to just dive in and just have an open conversation about a few things. Swara, Star Wars. There's a lot of stuff going on right now. What's the latest thing you've been excited about in Star Wars? Well, the very latest news I've been excited about is potential spoiler alert coming on here for episode eight. I'll give you a second to tune out. Three, two, one. So Frank Oz, the voice and puppeteer of Yoda from Empire Strikes Back, has said in an interview that he couldn't answer a question about whether or not he was involved with The Last Jedi, uh, the upcoming episode eight. And, you know... I don't think this is an example of the internet taking his comments out of context, but rather he actually says, I can't answer definitively whether or not I am in this film. The Lucasfilm executives are not letting me speak out on this. So I think that's a quite likely possibility that he's going to be in episode eight, which really excites me. We're going to see Yoda again. I think it's pretty safe to assume we're going to end up seeing some old characters. There, I mean, to have continuity between all these trilogies, you can't just have uh, Yoda in the first trilogy, Yoda in the second trilogy, establish that Force ghosts are a thing and that Yoda uh, became a Force ghost at the end of Episode Six, and then he never shows up again. And the thing is, we heard Yoda in Rey's vision in Episode Seven. Yeah. He's, he's out there, and yeah. he's there, and, and I, honestly, I'm still kind of stunned that we haven't seen more of Qui-Gon's character in extended canon, stuff like uh, Rebels, the Clone Wars, like that he didn't make more of an appearance. I think he was in the last episode uh, Yeah, in, Yo- in Yoda's, Yoda's arc episode. in the Clone Wars, yeah. yeah he was he, guiding Yoda through uh, how to become the initial steps of becoming a force ghost but even that he made it was just an audio appearance you know they didn't they didn't like create the likeness of liam neeson and bring him back he was also in the mortis arc actually really yeah don't you remember i I don't remember no yeah Yeah, he was speaking both to obi-wan and anakin again Uh, was he did they show his likeness they showed his likeness yeah okay i stand corrected so he is out there at fake news i'm full of fake news (laughs) i'm so sorry (laughs) listeners you should be sorry Uh, no no it's great i i i can't you can't possibly remember all this stuff. Um, but that's really exciting. I mean, just the fact that, that Frank Oz is kind of on the record is not going on the record. Uh, 
or, or, in, or in political speak, I have no comment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What's really interesting about this is that this is a particular example of a character coming in that I think could really make a lot of sense for the story, particularly with Ray's training and the inner exploration of Luke and what he's been up to all of these years. And it's not simply shoehorning in a character for the sake of it. That's something I really don't like when you include an element, you know, simply, quote, for yeah. the fans that doesn't really make a lot of sense for the story. I think an example of this might be in Rogue One where we saw the two... Uh, Ponda bo- Baba? Yeah, Ponda Baba yeah. and Dr. Something from the yeah. cantina. Who, You know, that was like a nice Easter egg, but I, some people called it forced and I can understand why. But this doesn't seem like an example of that. Yoda has always been pivotal for the Star Wars saga and... With this new threat of the dark side in the galaxy, he could be a very pivotal player even after death. So I'm really looking forward. Yeah, I think an example of a way that a character, a minor character, can like come back or be used, and not that Yoda's a minor character, but like you know, the inclusion of Walfiel Aran um, in some yeah. of the new canon materials has been really cool, and like that's a that's a dot that you connect that fans I think appreciate, and that fans don't feel like they're just like having red meat thrown out to them, like with the Ponda Baba thing. Right. But yeah, Yoda. Yoda coming back is going to be um, completely reasonable and it will not be out of place at all. I will say what I want from it though is I want the puppet. Yes, I want me the puppet. Too. And I think that's probably the biggest question. The question is not is Yoda going to be in the movie? It's which Yoda is going to be in the movie? And I'm going to I'm going to throw out my vote for please bring back a a good animatronic or a puppet. Um Please don't, please don't bring the prequel version back. Not that there was anything wrong with it, really. There wasn't anything particularly wrong. Uh, I'm not talking about the acrobatics, but I thought I thought his depiction was was good as far as the special effects went. Um, but I but, guess it would make more sense timeline to just continue with the puppet. But 100%, the Yoda we all fell in love with is from Empire Strikes Back, the one who we envision as the ultimate teacher, as the ultimate mentor, as the person who tells us, believe in yourself and you will succeed at this monumental, seemingly impossible task, such as uh, lifting an X-Wing. I don't think there was much of that in the prequels. Um, I don't think you really saw people, even people who love the prequels, necessarily praise Yoda, or Yoda's depiction as one of the best aspects. And the Yoda we all, as I said, that we all envision and love is from Empire Strikes Back and Return sure. of the Jedi. Sure. So I absolutely concur. It should be the puppet slash a really good animatronic version. It's just, or as much as you can make a ghost like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we have to remember this is still a, it's still going to be a special effect to some extent or another, but if it could be in that specific detailed Presentation, I'd really appreciate it. Where are you standing on the Force Awakens these days? When when's the last time you had a viewing, and have has it changed any any recently in the past year? The movie's been out just a little bit over a year. We have Rogue One now. How has your view of the movie changed? Um, well, each time I've seen it, I've seen it approximately nine times in total. Uh, I watched it a couple of weeks ago. I showed it to my roommate for the first time, cool, and he cool. really liked it. Um, I love it more and more every time I watch it. It's one of my favorite Star Wars films. It ranks... My favorite Star Wars film is Return of the Jedi, and then follows 
The Force Awakens tied with Empire Strikes Back. I do have to say I love that we share the same Star Wars movie in Return of the Jedi. It's always been a it's always been a point uh, in your favor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in a world where there are lots of points against you, Suara. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm Mr. not gonna he's like, news. I'm not gonna respond okay. to that. <laughs> um I will say that my rankings are very close together. You know, Empire Strikes Back and The Force Awakens are only a very, very close second, and A New Hope is my very, very, very close third, and uh, there are no other close rankings. Anyway, I, when viewing it, especially with the new canon material we've gotten, like Bloodline or Empire's End, which I just finished about a week ago, it's interesting to consider more of the political stakes in the galaxy um, to see the New Republic capital be destroyed. And we've discussed on the podcast a couple of times to uh, ponder about what the state of the galaxy will look like in episode eight without a uh, overall governing body. I mean, we've said the yes, the Republic still does exist, but all of the representatives that were managing it are dead. There's no management, essentially. I don't mean to completely take you off of the question that I asked, but you mentioned Empire's End, and I'm curious if you could make a pitch to me why I should read it. Um, Because I've read the first two Chuck Wendig books in the Aftermath trilogy, and I've I've got to say, and I, I gave a little bit of uh, needling to it the last time I read, uh, what was the second one called? Uh, Life Debt. Life Debt. I, I don't like these books. Uh, I don't necessarily like the writing at all. Um, yeah. I like some of the nuggets that they give me. The, the book is chock full of knowledge right. and great little fun facts that you can throw around with your Star Wars friends, right. and it helps fill out the universe. But in a world where there's a lot of books to read, and I can only read so many, um, why should I read this book? Because I really don't want to. I'll say myself, I do not like Chuck Wendig's style. He writes in the present tense. He has all of these over-the-top the, over metaphors. He includes so much detail and so much uh, different, pers- so many different perspectives, chapter to chapter, almost page to page, that it is a very hard read. It's a very unnecessarily difficult read as a single cohesive narrative in each of the books i these are not well written i completely agree with you i think they no offense to chuck wendig he's a great um you know like uh he includes a lot of great details in those nuggets we were talking about but He's created some characters that I love. Yes, yes. Ray Sloan is amazing. (laughs) Yeah, I love Ray Sloan, especially in this book. There are some really surprising things they do with her. Sinjir Rathvelis, I'm a big fan. Yeah, the the characters are great. We're just talking about the execution. The execution is not good. I think what what I've enjoyed after... I I enjoy the books after I'm done with them. And I I think what what I mean by that is they're unpleasurable to read. But once I have the story in my head and I can just kind of be alone and and sort of think about the aftermath story and play the videos in my head of what it would look like, I enjoy the story that was told. But I I just don't like consuming it. Right. but with with Empire's End, did the I mean politics in the book? Because what I what I saw in the description of the book was that you see some of the formation of the Republic. Is that true? Do you see how it's organized? Not really. What you see is how 
the New Republic consolidates in its final battle against the Empire. I think you get a lot more nuggets, a lot more uh, insight into how the First Order developed and why the Empire was sort of destined to fall after Palpatine's demise. Okay. Couldn't so hold it together. Yeah. So the passages with Gallius Rex as he's um, recalling his <clears throat> uh, meetings with Palpatine and with other imperial leaders and both the present and the past, those are really interesting. And to see what Palpatine had in store and what, why he was interested in Jakku, these are all great nuggets to know. But I'm re- I realized this after finishing the novel that Wendig constructed the constructed the aftermath novels as a mesh between a an encyclopedia and a novel, making mm. for this sort of unpleasurable reading experience I was talking about. I was I was thinking, am I reading an anthology with all these interludes and the main story that had so many various points of view thrust in there? Was I reading? you know, an overall galactic story. I did not think, again, Lucasfilm and Disney should not have commissioned Chuck Winnick to write these books. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest with my opinion. I uh-huh. think they should have chosen a more established writer like uh, Timothy Zahn, James Lucino, Claudia Gray would have been amazing to write these books. She's the best writer overall, but she's really busy generally. Or E.K. Johnston, who wrote Ahsoka, you know, was dealing also a bit with the state of the galaxy uh, type writing. But Chuck Wendig is just, he just wasn't the man for this job. That's that's unfortunate to hear. I mean, again, I've I've read two out of the three. So you know, listeners, if you want to shoot us a message on what you thought about the book, tweet us at Beltway Banthas or email us at beltwaybanthas at gmail So you did mention a book that or an author that you use writing you like, that being Timothy Zahn. Thrawn is around the corner. Yes. Um, this book comes out in April. We've talked a little bit about it on the show in the past. But USA Today had yeah. an excerpt of the book, and it is between Thrawn and Emperor Palpatine having yes. a conversation about what Thrawn can offer Palpatine with his service. It's really, really cool. It, it's so well written, and what really surprised me about it was seeing Palpatine being caught off guard. Yeah. We rarely ever see that. The only time we ever see that is in Return of the Jedi when Luke refuses to join the dark side. But here, Thrawn was telling Palpatine, I know what you're interested in about the unknown regions. I know what you're concerned about with your empire. And you could just tell with uh, Timothy's Timothy Zahn's brilliant writing that Palpatine was sort of taken aback that what is this uh, person from this Chiss Chiss know about me the dark lord of the Sith and the emperor of the galaxy and that last sentence went on yeah yeah yeah, I mean to to back up I mean what what they lay out in this excerpt is that Palpatine is afraid yes. of something that is in the outer reaches. I think I think you could you could use the word curious or afraid. Curious there's something or afraid, there's yeah. something out there, something big, something dark, and Palpatine feels it. This has something to do with what's going on in aftermath as well. Definitely um, does, yeah. But Thrawn, as a Chiss who comes from the outer reaches, he knows something about this, and he comes to Palpatine with basically a proposition of service to exempt or protect. The, the people of, of, I don't know what his planet would be called, but the Chiss people. Right. Um, 
from the empire and also from this unforeseen enemy. Mm. So he is going out there as a representative, actually not as a representative because he's doing it on his own accord um, to protect the Chiss people. And he's going to offer his service to the emperor in exchange for that protection for his people. And the emperor asks him this really barbed question about, you know, like, do they want you to be here? And he and he's like, I don't really particularly care if my people know that I'm here or if they like me for it. Um, everyone's going to yeah. win in this scenario. It was really fascinating. And it just, to me, really showed uh, a little bit of the politics of the time that we're going to get filled out as, which is how did a Chiss end up in the empire at such a high level when the empire is known for its xenophobia and human-centric policies where um, he's definitely going to face some hurdles, some discrimination of some sort, some whatever stigma, choose, yeah. choose your word. Um, it's going to be different for him in the empire, and we're going to see how he got there. The other interesting thing was when Palpatine asked him, what if I commanded you to attack your own planet? Where do your loyalties lie? And Thrawn says with a straight face, I serve whom I serve and I will follow any command. And Palpatine, again, is taken aback by that. He's suddenly so willingly loyal, but I think it's rather Thrawn is so ruthlessly ambitious and willing to get ahead that maybe he's also willing to throw his people under the bus or something. And it was this really powerful to read. Yeah. I'm, I'm not really sure what to make of that analysis. Like if he would throw his people under the bus, cause I feel like he's there for the express purpose. At least that's what he's saying. Of helping his that's people. That's what he's saying. Yeah. He, he seems to be there with an idea of mutual gain, not necessarily that he just wants an awesome job. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I feel like it's going to be more complex than that. But for sure, for sure. Either way, man, am I excited. And that excerpt that's in USA Today was just really encouraging for if you are excited about reading Star Wars books, uh, that's going to be a good read. It's going to be um, great. But part of what we are doing in this episode is Swar and I just kind of wanted to talk a little bit more openly for a week. Things have been crazy. Things have been busy. And we just kind of want to check in on a few things. And we're not quite at a year with the podcast, but we're getting there pretty soon. We'll be at a year of doing this podcast. And it has been an awesome and wild and fun ride. I've, I've just enjoyed it so much. Um, getting to know you, Swar, and, and you weren't even with the show originally. Uh, the show started off with my co-host, Tirso Perez. Um, who moved up to New Hampshire. Miss him, miss him a lot. Um, hopefully he'll be coming back on eventually. And we've just gone through so much change, so much growth, but we've learned so much. We've learned about podcasting. We've learned a whole lot about how people in D.C. and politics think about Star Wars. Um, and I've just loved getting to know our listeners. We've gotten friends out of this whole gig. Yeah. Like, I mean, folks, like that's what's just been so cool about podcasting is that you make friends. Like your listeners end up being the people who talk to you all day on Twitter and on <laughs> Facebook. And it's it opened up an entire new community for me that I didn't feel connected to. I was always a Star Wars fan, but I was never in fandom, quote unquote, yeah. um, which is its whole other animal than just being a Star Wars fan. And this is a community of people that in general I feel are really, really awesome. And oh, I've, yeah. just, I've just felt... Um, uplifted every day, like getting to know everybody and having folks to talk to. And I think what's so great about it is that you have Star Wars uniting so many different kinds of people from all around the world of different cultural or ethnic backgrounds or political backgrounds. 
you know, this is a point of this podcast that Star Wars unites all of us and inspires all of our various political points of view. And for me, it's been such a delight getting to know you, Stephen, and what you think about the political world we live in. It's such a different perspective, if I may say so, than I got in college where I was sort of in a monolithic bubble. And it's been really refreshing, but I've also really appreciated the Star Wars community and podcast community and listener community we've garnered out of this. And yeah, we uh, tweet back and forth with people like, I'm just going to give a shout out here, Ross Brown, who always like, (laughs) who always amusingly pushes my buttons on Twitter. And I love you, Ross. You're awesome. (laughs) Mike Mike Audette. Mike Audette. uh, Mike Harris. Dennis Keithley. I love you all. uh, Bobby. Bobby uh, Roberts, yeah, when we had him on that Tyler one Tyler Westhouse is always fun to talk to. <laughs> Dr. Andrea Littimendi. I love I love you all. Um, you know, with you, you were mentioning like what we've learned uh, over the past year with this podcast, and I think what we've been going on a journey with with our listeners is the politics of Star Wars and the politics that bring people to the table of Star Wars. And you hear a whole lot, and this is just because, um, as Americans, and this is you know this is mostly an American audience for our show, but like as Americans, we uh, we tend to be pretty combative about these things, and think that our media is always speaking to our ideas. And what you find with the Star Wars audience is that it's very very mixed, and that a lot of people have some strong opinions. Some of them are backed up well, some of them are not. Um, but at the end of the day. I feel like what we've done is we've opened up a dialogue about something that was like taboo to talk about. You go to a bunch of Facebook group pages, uh, forums and whatnot, and there was always a place where you could talk about the politics of Star Wars in like a controlled environment, um, like the Jedi, the Jedi Forum, JediForums.net or whatever comes to mind. And 1138 is just an amazing blog yeah, for really this kind great. of thought. But for the most part, if you put this stuff out into general forums, it would get like boxed out or it could get you banned uh, from a lot of different places if you wanted to talk about this stuff because people feel attacked. And I think what... I feel like what has happened in the past year, and I'm not crediting this to the Beltway Banthas podcast at all. um, Maybe a little. (laughs) It was an an election year. We were all talking about politics, um, and everybody was kind of trying to weave in Star Wars and politics in some way. But um, I feel like this outlet, combined with a couple of other things, has helped grease the wheels a little bit for people to talk about it more openly and, and have some fun with it yeah. um, and, and do it in a way that's respectful and that we're all like at the end of the day still just excited to go see the next movie together and go to Star Wars Celebration together and do all these things which by the way I'm not going to Star Wars Celebration this year um, mm-hmm. I'm not going to be able to go mm-hmm. I, I've been planning on it for a couple of months a lot of stuff happened in the past two months or so, one of which being I need a car and I can't go. I'm super bummed. I know a lot of you are going to be there and Suara will be down there um, repping the podcast and his good old self and you should find him and meet Suara. Yeah, I'll be down there for at least the Saturday and Sunday of that weekend. I'm currently in the job search and I can't necessarily commit right now to Thursday, Friday, although I do have the tickets for those days. Hopefully I'll be there all four days and I'll be able to meet 
everyone at RetroZap. If you're, by the way, uh, we're part of the RetroZap podcast network, and they're having a meetup there Thursday night, right after um, Tyler Westhouse's event and the podcast community's event of. Uh, Drowning in Mo- Moonlight, a uh, tribute to Carrie Fisher. That's going to be really awesome. That's and it's like a formal cool. event, right? Yeah. yeah, it's a formal ball sort of thing. Yeah, I was listening to Tyler on Bruise and Blasters. He said that you can come dressed however you want, but I think it's preferable if you come more formally dressed. Uh, it's <sighs> supposed so to be a gala. So, so yeah. cool. Yeah. So Are I, you gonna, you're going to go, right? If I go that Thursday night, then absolutely. Um, if I'm in uh, Orlando that Thursday. And I really hope I, I can, but you know, guys, life is life. I have to see how things go along in the next uh, week or so. But I think at this point, it's maybe an 80% certainty I'll be able to go for all four days. So I'm really hopeful. And th- this would be my second celebration. I went to the one in London uh, last year, which was incredible. I met so many great podcasters and Star Wars fans. Uh, I think the highlight for me was meeting Amy Radcliffe uh, of Lattes with Leia mm-hmm. and one of the best Star Wars journalists out the Star Wars and geek journalists out there. She is absolutely fantastic. And I, yeah, I made other acquaintances. Oh, Riley Blanton, of course, of the Star Wars Report, and his sister Bethany Blanton and Bruce Gibson of the Star Wars Report. They, they were a lot of fun to hang out with. We got lunch, and I've, we've seen Bruce uh, once before here in D.C. And it was just a wonderful experience. It was like a, it was like stepping into another world where it's all just Star Wars and. I it, it's one of the highlights of my life and you know for something I've loved since I was 9 it's been a core part of me and to see so many others with that same experience and love for the franchise was just incredibly humbling and just so much fun and one of the best experiences you could ever have as a Star Wars fan. Well, I, I hope you have fun down in Orlando. Thank it, you. it just looks like it's going to be an absolute blast. And we were just talking a minute ago about you know folks we love to talk to on Twitter. Actually, we just got a we just got a, a tweet right now from uh, Al Nowatsky. I'm no, I'm botching your last <laughs> name, uh, but Al hosts the Children of the Force podcast, which is yep. a Star Wars and kids sort of mashup podcast. Um, really love that show. I've actually listened to it a couple times with my daughter, so if you are a Star Wars parent, you should check out the Children of the Force podcast. Um, but Al just tweeted us that the uh, the conversation on our last episode about the Empire and White Supremacy spurred a big conversation on uh, their upcoming episode uh, right around the 9 minutes and 15 second mark. So, Al, we will definitely check that out, and thank you so much uh, for messaging us about that. Um, with this podcast... What have been some of your, your favorite moments? Uh, or, or start with one. Like, what is a, a moment that you've known that we were doing, like, a good thing here and that this has been really fun for you? Because I know there are also times where it's been not so fun. There have been hard times. It is really hard to podcast, y'all. Oh, like, yes. it is really hard to do. Even we're an every other week show with sometimes a, 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 a off week episode or an interview episode. But, man, this is a huge allocation of time and resources that I just had really no idea it would be this uh, this 
hard to do. And I just major love out there for you shows who do it weekly and more so you shows who do it daily. Um, there are shows that do it daily? There are daily shows. Wow. Yes. They're, they're typically short, but there are daily shows out there I can't even imagine. That's incredible. Um, it, it's just, it's awesome. It's really awesome, totally crazy at the same time. So I'm like, what's a favorite moment you've had doing so, this show? So my first favorite moment was something I was doing for the podcast. The first thing I did for the podcast at Star Wars Celebration when I was interviewing Riley Blanton, the Star Wars Report, we were talking about political parallels between Star Wars and the real world, and he came up with something brilliant that I had no idea. I couldn't have fathomed myself, but making a comparison between Jeb Bush and Chancellor Valorum from Episode 1... We coined Jeb Valorum. <laughs> that Please was, clap. It's it's always been funny. And so we did we when we were going to do our first line of Star Wars and politics uh, swag and merchandise, we basically got together as many kind of the jokes and funny comparisons we had. So we came up with uh, a Princess Leia. I'm with her pen. Kylo Ren make Empire great. Make galaxy great again. Yeah, make the galaxy great again. I came up with a. Uh, General Hux Tea Party flag, uh, <laughs> which I thought was <laughs> I thought was pretty funny. It was General Hux with a Tea Party flag behind him, um, which I think is relatively appropriate. Um, and then there was a Boba Fett Bernie Sanders mashup. It was uh, Bounty or Bust with uh, with a Bernie Sanders head. I actually never saw that oh, one. It was it was totally funny. And then I also had made a version of our our twelve or our, our, our couple inch pens with a. Uh, um, Hillary Clinton as Luke Skywalker and Bernie Sanders as Yoda on her back. And that was <laughs> <laughs> that was at the time when Bernie Sanders was really nipping at her heels on in the primary. And so I thought it was a good joke for like she's gotta carry him around whispering in her ear and so all this stuff about, you know, progressivism and, and the movement. So Well, we saw how that worked out. No, nah, that did not work out. She <laughs> threw the backpack. <laughs> she oh, threw off God. the human backpack <laughs> pretty bad. But that was uh, that was one of my favorite jokes that Riley had coined, which was Jeb Valorum, please clap. And that got made into some stuff as well, but we ended up not printing it. Uh, it would have been good, though. It's, a very, it's a very niche joke. Yeah, there's still time, you know. Um, another one of my favorite moments, uh, I really enjoyed getting you to call my Ray Palpatine theory a jackpot in a crackpot or jackpot segment. Oh, I remember that. What about you, Steven? I'm really conflicted. Conflicted? Um, I'm no, I'm conflicted. <laughs> Are you Kylo Ren conflicted? <laughs> I, feel, I feel the pull. <laughs> the pull to Ray Palpatine. <laughs> oh no! Um, what has happened? No, so <laughs> I, uh, I've been I've been stewing on this for a couple hours now, and it's it's the superficial stuff that I I completely dismiss as just kind of weird and hokey. But <laughs> I think I think thanks, Steve. <laughs> I'm not talking about your ukulele. I loved your ukulele. <laughs> solo. Stop it! <laughs> no, it's 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 that darkness about Ray that 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 
surfaces here and there that I think is is really compelling. And the idea that I have that she was put on the planet because she was dangerous um, and because she had great power and that in The Force Awakens, we're not seeing new power. We're seeing the awakening of old power that has been forgotten. Um, I think it would be cool if that came from the Palpatine family line. Now, Um, hold on. Excuse me. I just want to interject for a second. If we could just revisit, do a little flashback to episode maybe one or two. I remember someone had a crackpot or jackpot theory about Ray being uh, an evil child. (laughs) And I was told that I was a crackpot. I just want to... Oh, wow. You're bringing up old conflict, huh? Wow. (laughs) My position has evolved on this. Um, That's a politician's way of saying I flip-flopped on the issue. Yeah, Um, dude. My thinking has evolved on this issue. Um, You know, my my child, um, you know, he believes in this theory, and that's really opened up my eyes to... (laughs) I was the lobbyist in this situation. That's true. So... I man, I really like. I, I'm like thinking about the listeners right now. It's like, what do I say? I, I I'm gonna. <laughs> Stephen has evolved. I can't do it, and he is now uh, an entity. So, gosh, I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go with Jackpot. Whoa! Uh, yes. Yes. I'm yes. gonna go with Jackpot. I think. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I hate myself. This theory is so stupid, but I love I quit. it. <laughs> dear so, dear so, quit the show. I'm done. For me, I, there's been just a lot of a lot of great moments and high moments doing the show. I think for kind of a celebrity geek out moment, I loved the episode where I went and sat down with Mike Shields, uh, formerly of the Newt Gingrich team, and Kristen Soltis Anderson. Uh, she's a friend of the show. She hosts the Pollsters podcast, uh, of, which, podcast. of which yeah, we're both listeners. It's a it's a great political analysis show and, and polling analysis show. And she's also a contributor on ABC, Fox, well, pretty much every cable station at this point, but an ABC contributor. And we both we all sat down together. It was a three way conversation, and we got into this sidebar note about why political parties are still important today, um, and and offering sort of those political choices, because this was at a time where I think we were still unsure that there was ever going to be, a, yeah, we were actually completely doubtful that there was ever going to be a President Trump. Um, and so with three conservatives sitting around the table, there was just so much uncertainty about where parties stood and where the party stood today. And I just loved that conversation we had. And we had it in the context of Star Wars. I can't quite remember what the tie-in is, but you should go check that out. The episode is called Wherefore Art Thou, Newt Gunray. Um, <laughs> I think that's episode four. And it was, just, it was a fun chat about political parties and why they are actually important in an era where I think we are super disenchanted with our political parties, really interested in our side movements that pressure the parties and not necessarily being involved in the parties themselves. And then there was, Tierso and I did this shtick for a little while on the show where we did comedic intros and we we would start the show off with a little comedy because Tierso is, is, a, is a comedy guy and, and quite a genius at it um, but we did a reading of Emo Kylo Ren tweets <laughs> okay you got all the show notes for, for tonight? Uh, no I sent you an extra Google Doc, so that should have, like, everything in there that we were going to go over. 
Alright, I'll get the door. Is that Ben? Yeah, that's that's emo Kylo Ren. He's he's here again. Oh god. Should we just let him in? His mom works out with my mom. We should probably let him in. Alright, come come on in, man. Thank you for having me. I was told that you have a podcast. Uh, yeah, Star Wars podcast. Stephen had told me that I could read some of my poetry. Stephen. I'm sorry. Just, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, you know what? Go ahead, man. E- emo Kaloran, go ahead. Thank you. Cue the music, please. Dear Diary, I'm all stuffed up, but on the dark side, my breathing sounds quite impressive with the helmet. Dear Diary, I think I'm coming down with something. I've been sneezing into my helmet all morning. I wonder how Darth Vader dealt with this. Dear Diary, I wish people wouldn't say things cost an arm and a leg. My grandfather lost an arm and both legs, and it wasn't a joking matter. Dear Diary, Mom says I can't have an ashtray in my bedroom. I tried to explain it's not for smoking, it's for the remains of my enemies. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, uh, thanks, man. You can... Are, are you done? That's everything I have. Are we still going to play badminton next weekend? Uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. See you later. We'll, see we'll, you later. We'll call, we'll call you. All right, thanks, man. Bye. Let's never have him on the show. I'm sorry. We got to meet Tamara Keith, um, who's the uh, White House correspondent for NPR. She's so nice, so delightful, so smart. We had a great conversation with her um, about a couple of months ago at this point. No, this was back in October, right? Yeah, the first one was in was in October. It was leading up to Rogue One. Yes. And it was just generally about her fandom story, like, you know, the the, fam- the, the picture of her dressed up as Princess Leia and kind of like, what's her fandom about? Like, yeah. what's her big story? Exactly. Yeah. We had a really delightful conversation, and as we found out, she actually listens to the podcast, to our podcast. <laughs> I couldn't handle that. I just, like, screamed inside so loud when she said that. I mean, because we interview a lot of people for the show that I think, like, in politics world are kind of like DC celebrities, which is really awesome. Um but to actually know that one is listening to the show yeah. raises the stakes so high. Um, and I'm going to embarrass myself because I don't know who's going to hear that. But, I mean, that's that's true. Like, it's just it's really neat that she actually was a listener of the show and that people who are not necessarily engaged in Star Wars all the time will listen to this maybe for a checkup. Um because one, one thing that we went through with starting the show is we didn't know who our target audience was. And I think we still haven't fully figured that out yet. And I, by that, I mean there are a lot of Star Wars podcasts that are for Star Wars lifestyle people, um, the fandom, you know. And this is a small chunk of the Star Wars audience. Uh, first of all, um, very few people in America. I think it is well less than 40% know even know what podcasts are. Yeah. Um, and then outside, it, within that, then you have Star Wars fans, and then you have Star Wars fans who love it enough to listen to Star Wars podcasts. You're talking about a really small chunk of the country. Um, so we weren't really sure if this podcast about Star Wars and politics and the politics of Star Wars had an audience with those people, or if this podcast was meant 
for casual fans who are not technically part of fandom who love politics first, Star Wars second. And I think that for a lot of people, and that's still niche, but I think we were looking at this possibly as a show that was more for that person you know from a cocktail party who also loves Star Wars, but they certainly don't dress up uh, as Luke Skywalker when they go, uh, I don't know, out for the out for a, out for a costume party or something so, like that. So basically, not us. Yeah, like not us. Um, and I think we we still are sort of shooting the show in both directions, but we haven't quite figured out yet what exactly is the audience that that we're trying to get in touch with. I, and again, that's something I kind of reach out to our listeners who are tuning in right now for. Like, I'm kind of curious what we do that appeals to different kinds of people. We've had so many various types of conversations with so many different people. It's really astounding. And I think, as I was talking before about how we are a really inclusive pol- uh, inclusive podcast of people from various backgrounds and beliefs and political beliefs. And I think that's one of the main points of this podcast, inclusivity. No matter what your level of knowledge is, no matter what your, quote, level of fandom in Star Wars is or your political beliefs are, how much you know about politics, we're here for you. Send us your questions. Send us your emails. Uh, You know, we just want to be able to educate and have a general discussion about all these various topics. And what has also been very interesting is that they go hand in hand so well. As we all know, Star Wars has always been political since its inception and what George Lucas's inspirations were about uh, from the Vietnam War, from talking about the evil empire and how that relates to Soviet Russia. Um, This is always been a very political series and we're extrapolating as much as we can from it and we're extrapolating a lot it's really almost bizarre when you think about it there are a lot of views out there about the politics of star wars and i am kind of learning new ones every day that i I hadn't heard before and uh because typically, typically, you don't have someone coming out from Lucasfilm saying that a certain view is absolutely wrong. Uh, I don't think that that has happened much ever. Um, you know, it's free game. Everybody gets to bring their idea to the table, and it's just fun to have that exchange. So what's new in your life, Stephen? Gosh, a lot, of, a lot is new. Um, I, I will say to the listeners that the the show's going to change a little bit here in the coming weeks or months um, just because I've been producing the show since Tirso left. And that was, I don't know how many months ago now, quite a few, quite a few months ago now. I've been producing the show uh, and it's been a really cool experience with going forward Suara is going to be helping a lot with production of the show um, as a kind of a beginner. Like you're, you've not spent too much time running around GarageBand sound editing, and so that's going to be a new experience for both of us. I'm going to be out of a computer. The reason that I'm out of a computer is because I am changing jobs. So I've been working for two years 
for a nonprofit organization called Generation Opportunity. We do a lot of millennial-based outreach um, on free market issues. And I've taken a new job, of which I'm very excited, uh, at a group uh, called Young Voices. I'm going to be working as a spokesperson there um, and also on PR for the organization, which is a big dream job for me. Like I've, I've always wanted to work officially in PR and work as a spokesperson. Uh, that's kind of the direction that I'm going in professionally in this, uh, this crazy DC uh, bubble. So I'm excited. I start next week. Congratulations. Thank, thank you. It's, it's, a, it's a big week for me, but I'm out of a computer because I, I do all my work uh, uh, for the podcast currently on my professional laptop. So um, Suara is being nice enough to take over uh, the reins of the show and producing it while we go forward and kind of figure out what the next step is. Um, there will also be changes in sort of my schedule and in what we're able to get figured out um, and do for production of the show. And so you know, one thing I want to throw out there to you, the listeners, is if you want to come on the show sometime, sit as a guest host. Uh, I might not be a, a, always able to make it. Suara might not be always able to make it. If you've ever wanted to be on Beltway Banthas and talk about some of these issues with us, we'd love for you to come on the show. Take a, take a host chair for a weekend. Uh, it would be a lot of fun. We'd love to have you on the show. So just shoot us an email at beltwaybanthas at gmail.com and let us know that's something you'd be interested in, and we will certainly touch base with you about it. Um, one of the things that came up this week is uh, I was supposed to be going to South by Southwest this coming weekend. Um, my, my work... Uh, had a panel that we were going to be doing with Snoop Dogg. Ooh. I know. By so the way, crazy. have you been following the latest uh, dispute between our president <laughs> and <laughs> said Mr. Dogg? I have followed the dispute uh, between the president and Mr. Snoop Dogg. Uh, that the timing really couldn't be worse for uh, for that, but uh, whatever. Yeah, Snoop, Snoop Dogg did a, a music video in, in which he... De- Picks uh, shooting a, a fake like kind of clown gun at a uh, clown esque version of the president. Um, so that makes for fun uh, fun PR for the week. But anyways, my work has a panel uh, with Snoop Dogg um, on criminal justice reform, and they'll also be sitting down <laughs> wow. with Weldon Angelos. Weldon is a uh, a, a hip hop producer from Utah who got sentenced to 55 years in prison for uh, possession of marijuana and also carrying a firearm in the early 2000s. He was sentenced to 55 years, and in a miraculous series of events and stuff that we've been lobbying for and pushing for for a long time, um, got an early release uh, by one of the judges uh, that was involved in that sentencing. So Weldon is out, and we are kind of taking him on the road a little bit to tell his story and talk to people about mandatory minimum sentences, why they are so unbelievably effed up uh, and why they need to be changed um, on the federal level and also advocate for changes on the state level uh, for state prisons. It's so messed up on all levels. It's really incredible work that you guys are doing. It's it's the issue that has animated me most in in politics since getting into it. I I think when I first got involved, I was pretty cookie-cutter partisan. Like, all I cared about was, like, beating the other team. But I've gotten to be much more issues-focused, and and criminal justice reform and occupational licensing are things that, like, now completely drive most of my thinking and policy work. So 
really exciting. Um, so if you are at South by Southwest, don't know if any of you will be, um, we'll be there with Snoop Dogg, Weldon Angelos on Saturday of this coming weekend uh, as this show's episode is coming out. I will not be there, and I will not be there anymore as a result of my accepting this new job, and uh, I just can't go. Um, so I start that thing next week. But we will be at a We're different... We're going to be at Oak City Comic yeah. Con this weekend in North Carolina. Oh my goodness, I'm so excited. And friend of the show, Nick DeColandria of Coffee with Kenobi, will be hosting a panel with us. Yes, and that's just kind of another uh, another example of those friendships being built. Um, you Nick's know, we've, awesome. We've gotten to know Nick, uh, who does the video games portion of the Coffee with Kenobi show every month. Um uh, over Twitter, and we've had dinner with him in DC. Um, as we've also had dinner with Bruce from the Star Wars Report. It's been awesome. Both um, that Founding Farmers. It's sort of becoming our spot, isn't founding it? Founding Farmers is where we will take you if you come to DC <laughs> and you'd like to meet up sometime. And Stephen will order the chicken and waffles again. I will always order chicken and waffles, and you will watch me eat it and get it <sighs> everywhere. And you know, yeah. our one. Our, our friend and our friend and listener Juan John Jedi John Liang lives yeah. lives in the Arlington area. We need to take him to Founding Farmers. So, John, this is your uh, your on air invite to go to Founding Farmers with us. I I got dinner with John actually last week at a restaurant night right <sighs> nearby my apartment called Highline, which is really great. <sighs> <laughs> and I wasn't invited. I wasn't was, invited. It, it was a spur of the moment kind of thing on Tuesday. Sorry, betrayer. <laughs> Betraya? No, never mind. You were supposed <laughs> to do emo Kylo Ren traitor, but whatever. You missed the moment. <laughs> traitor! <laughs> Liar! Yeah, Razor's <laughs> going to come and whoop your ass again. That's what's going to happen. I saw that on TV last night. I was flipping through channels, and I flipped onto stars uh, right as Ray was cutting up right yes. across Kylo's face, and I was just like, take yes. that, you rat fink. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Um, but that was just kind of a, a little update for everybody. The show will change in a couple of ways just because schedules, busyness, and also production capabilities are going to be different. Um, so your feedback is going to be more valuable than ever. And also your patience. Your patience with us as we sort of adjust yeah. to a couple new things. Yeah. And guys, uh, we've said this a couple of times before. Please, please, please leave us an iTunes rating and review. It really helps the show uh, get out to more people and it lets us know what we can do better. You know, ho- you know. Hopefully, give us a- hopefully give us a positive review. But you know, if there's anything glaring that we need to improve on, let us know that as well. We'd really, really appreciate it. Sure do. Um, I think that's as good a time as any to take us out to Bantha Fodder. Some of the things that have been on our mind this week. Bantha Fodder is a segment of the show where we just talk about something in an unfiltered, uh, uninterrupted way that's been on our mind and that we can't let go in the NPR politics uh, sense. We call it Bantha Fodder. Suara, what's up with you this week? What's been keeping you distracted? So, after the election, I saw a Star Wars political meme floating around. It was Obama, Trump, and Bernie Sanders. It was displaying President Obama as a new hope, Trump as the Empire Strikes Back, and Bernie as Return of the Jedi. (laughs) I found this pretty hilarious. I personally never thought there was a chance that Bernie would really 
win if he were the candidate instead of Hillary. And I could just see a bunch of far leftist, like strong social Democrats making this meme and floating it around saying that, no, Hillary wasn't the one with her centrism, centralism to beat the, quote, evil empire of Trump. It was rather Bernie Sanders. You know, he would be the aforementioned Return of the Jedi. And I, <laughs> I've just really doubted this, like, you know, from the start, I don't think left-wing populism is necessarily the solution to what we're seeing going on right now. A couple of days ago, I had some of these suspicions of mine more, you know, more strongly bolstered. There's a great article in Vox, I suggest you guys all read it, uh, with a title of Why Right-Wing Populism is, or sorry, Why Left-Wing Populism is Not the Solution to Right-Wing Populism or Right-Wing Nationalism. The author, Zach Bouchamp, was going through various examples in a bunch of European countries that have strongly robust social democratic systems. Thing is, yes, these countries experience better health care, better longevity, better economic pr- progress, uh, you know, comparatively with the rest of the world. But they've done nothing, he was arguing and was displaying with statistics gathered from the past uh, couple of decades. They've done nothing to quell right-wing ethno-nationalism. He was saying that, sure, you know, these countries are doing great overall, but the problem that, you know, for example, we're seeing in the States right now is not something that's going to be solved by the types of far left-wing policies Bernie Sanders is advocating. In fact, one could actually make an argument that they bolster them, that they bolstered these nationalist movements, and that there's something actually more cultural that these nationalist groups are considering rather than simply their economic disparities and their economic woes. It may actually be more of a fear of the other or fear of people who don't necessarily resemble them. This was, you know, something that Bouchamp was arguing in his article. I don't know exactly how we're going to tackle the problem of rising nationalist sentiment, which you know, I will say has resulted in some acts of violence, some acts of uh, extreme discontent within the U.S. right now. But it is not going to be by pushing for a far, far left democratic socialist platform. I think that these problems are more psychological than they are necessarily policy driven. You know, they're very political at their core. And we just need to have a longer discussion about what makes us America as a country and what we aren't. It's a very difficult conversation to have, but I don't think any of us in the policy realm seeking a broad sweeping policy measure to solve it is actually going to solve anything. So it's something we need to be very considerate and cognizant of as we seek to basically unite ourselves better as a country. That's my band of fodder for this week. Well, you sent me that article, and I, I appreciated the read, and it's not just because I, I dislike Bernie Sanders. But, <laughs> um, no, there, there's, there's a great point there, which is that you have to look at evidence and not your feelings. Exactly. Um, it feels right to push back against right-wing populism with left-wing populism, especially after Hillary Clinton just tanked. But 
you know, what it shows is that if you, in these Nordic countries in particular, and a lot of these area, and not just Nordic, but these, these European countries that are facing these, these um, ethnocentric uh, backlashes on the right, it's, it's after you give people like the security and safety nets that left-wing populism offers, you make them economically secure enough that then they focus on things like keeping others out of their prosperity. And that's something that is part of that. You basically give people the comfort to care about other issues, such as yeah. race, such as immigration. And something that I've always been surprised with on, on my side has been that I always thought, and I think we always, always thought, that your average Tea Party member is somebody who really cares and is passionate about the ideas of small government. Well, they're not. Nope. They're not. That's, it, it was a myth. It was a myth. Yep. And it's because nothing is stronger than identity in politics. Nothing is stronger than the idea of who you are and who others are and, and how people identify and group themselves together. And people like government programs because everyone likes free stuff. Medicare. Um, People like government programs, especially your average Tea Party member. They just don't want it for someone else. And that has been a really ugly awakening for me and for a lot of people who have spent a lot of time and effort on a part of the country who votes a certain way, talks a certain way, uh, but then will turn it around on a dime. It turns out their biggest issue is immigration. Immigration is much bigger an issue than we ever realized or maybe took seriously. Um, but that, that article in Vox made a great point, um, which is people are, are not always being honest with you about what their biggest concerns are. Um, so there's a lot of risk in going down the fighting extremism with extremism. Um, so <laughs> wouldn't it just be all great if we could go back to Bill Clinton versus Bob Dole? <laughs> and, and, and listen, I just want to say I will still support certain social democratic <clears throat> programs for the inherent value I see in them and the way they will benefit society. You know, I believe in increased health care, um, better public education, uh, better uh, protections for the environment, et cetera, et cetera. But the main point I'm making and that this article is making is that it is not going to be the solution maybe whatsoever to what Trump is trying to do right now in the country. Are you announcing your candidacy for president? I'm, I prefer to be more on the back end. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so you will not say if you are running for president, Suara. I plead the fifth. Okay. All right. Fair <laughs> enough. Well, um, my band of fodder, uh, since I kind of just piggybacked on yours, is, is very short. Um, Representative Steve King of Iowa is disgusting. And yep. his tweet uh, this past week is pretty representative of the kind of horrible things that he's always been saying. Uh, but where he said, and I'll boil it down to, uh, we cannot restore our civilization with someone else's babies. Uh, this is a comment about immigration. And it's a little bit more ugly than usual. Uh, and, and typically, the way that Steve King has always been viewed and the way I've always viewed him is just a, a hardliner on immigration. He's a guy who's very adamant about laws of the land and enforcing immigration laws as they are. Okay, And that's the thing that we... And this kind of goes back to false assumptions about some people that are in your, your camp is 
that this is just a person who cares about immigration enforcement and that everybody's excited about legal immigration, uh, which I, for one, am. Uh, immigration is, is fantastic and it uplifts everybody. And immigrants uh, work harder and commit less crimes than Americans do. Immigrants, um, we get the job done. I'll give you that pass there, Swar. Um, <laughs> but Steve King actually showed either true colors or that he is bitten from the fruit of ethnic nationalism, uh, which is a transition from caring about legal immigration to believing that America is not great like it once was because it might be colored a different way. Um, And it's not clear if Steve King was always that person or if he's become that person based on the political climate of the time. It's quite possible that someone can can radicalize to go in that direction over time, but I think what I view it as is that there are a lot of people who this is kind of how they always felt, but they weren't quite sure how mm-hmm. to articulate it. And and right-wing ethno, ethnocentrism, I don't, I, I, what's, what's the word you... Ethno-nationalism. Ethno-nationalism yeah. that's coming from Europe and is, is on the rise in Europe right now is bleeding into the U.S. in a way that we have not seen ever. Um, there have been... Um, there have been waves like this and periods of time like this, but not quite in the way that we are seeing now. Um, every every wave is distinct in a different way. Um, but Steve King's tweet uh, was really, really unnerving. I won't say that it's like scary. I don't get scared by these kind of things. Um, but we are entering a dark time, and we've got to figure out a way to get out of this and back towards the light. I don't know when that's going to happen. That's that's my fodder. I think I think yeah. that pretty much pretty much wraps it up. Yeah, I, I just want to say, sort of in response to both of our fodders, is that it's good for us to have this overall conversation, and it is uncomfortable and deeply unsettling to recognize this illness in our country. That you know, Stephen, you said we haven't really. I mean, I mean, obviously, you know. It's not as though racism is a uh, you know, stranger in this country, but rather dealing it with more mo- in modern day, you know, something that... The terms are different. The terms, the are, terms are different. Yeah. And the thinking about it is different. Yeah. You know? But we do also need to recognize this is something that happens world over. You know, in whatever country you're looking at, there's always one group that, you know, tries to take uh, precedence over another. I can speak as a Kurd, um, you know, ethnic Kurd, and seeing what my family has been through in Iraq and uh, mm-hmm. throughout the Middle East and how the uh, how uh, strife-driven the interactions with Arabs are. And, you know, you've seen this sort of prejudice in Myanmar, in China, in India, in the UK, and through France with the rise of ethno-nationalism there now. And who knows, maybe it's our turn. This is just something inherent that we all have to deal with, our own dark side. The world is connected, and it is not uh, happening in a vacuum that all that you see these movements happening across the country, right? Or I'm sorry, across the world right now. Um, France is in the middle of this in a heated election as we speak. Um, and England has been overtaken by it as well. When you joined the show, Suara, Brexit happened. Yeah, um, exactly. You, you made your first appearance on the show commenting from the UK on Brexit and talking about the separatist movement in Star Wars Episode Two. Um, this is all connected, and we are caught up in it too. So um, 
I just kind of want to encourage people to find your friends, find your allies, and also find new allies because there are those people out there and work hard not to alienate people who could be potential allies. Um, The worst thing that we can do right now is increase the fault lines and fear is something that we've talked about a little bit on this show. And uh, the idea that fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering. And this is present in Star Wars. It is present in politics. And one thing that I am disheartened by looking into the Star Wars fan community and the politics of it is that we are very selective about the lessons that we learn. And I, and I know I'm going to be guilty of it in some way as well, in, in, in probably a different fashion. But the idea... We talk about how dangerous fear can be in Star Wars, in the Force, for a Jedi, for anybody. But we totally forget to apply it to ourselves. Being driven by your fears clouds your vision. It clouds your ability to see things clearly, to do the right thing sometimes. And it gets you into anger. And it takes you down the road to that next thing. And it kind of goes to what you were talking about with the Vox article kind of goes to what I was talking about a little bit. We cannot be governed by our fear. And even if you are afraid of what's going on right now, acting in fear is not necessarily the best way to handle things. You need to be thinking on a bigger playing field than just on your emotion. And that is a lesson that Star Wars has taught me. And I know it, yes. is, I know it is hard. I know it is really, really hard, especially for people who feel the most threatened in the, in the Trump era. But acting on fear and being driven by emotion is something that I think we all accepted as a life lesson that's not good. And it does still apply to you even today. It applies to me today. It applies to you. Um, And I I think we just got to be anchored in that at some some point. Yeah, I will say while the fears right now that we're seeing in, for example, the Star Wars fan community and our country at large, I would say most are justified, but you're right that there is a way in which we should act and respond, how we organize, how we uh, express our views politically, how we approach understanding the situation. And we need to remember that being a proponent of the light side of the force as a whole is about knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. And I'm not saying... I'm. I'm not saying at all compromise your values anyway whatsoever, but remember that your actions speak louder than your words and you need to, again, approach the situation in the most calm, measured way you can because that's the only way any of us are really going to make an impact in this you know, crazy political time. I I completely agree and I I, I just kind of want to drive this home on that we know that it's hard. Yeah. And we know that it's almost like even an unreasonable uh, ask in today's world, in the real world that we live in, uh, to not be driven by your fear. And it's reasonable to be afraid. I am positive. I am positive Obi-Wan has been afraid. Qui-Gon yeah. has been afraid. Yoda. Ahsoka, I know, has been afraid. Yoda was probably terrified when he was hanging on to that, that rafter in the Senate with Emperor Palpatine standing right above him as he's about to fall. Uh, Luke, but Luke but the, being driven yeah. by that yeah. fear is different. Yeah. You cannot let it own you, and you cannot let it govern the way that you behave and that you act. Um, fear is part of life, but it doesn't have to be your life. Yeah. Um, Luke was the most terrified in Empire Strikes Back when he got his hand chopped off and found out Darth Vader with it was his dad, but he let himself 
he let his hands be in the fate of the force, his fate be in the hands of the force. And he, you know, ultimately, ultimately he won, you know? All right. Yeah. All right, I think that With that, uh, that is another episode of Beltway Banthas Under the Belt. This is episode 25. Thank you for staying with us on this little unorthodox episode. We will be back uh, the week after next with more topical episodes about the politics of Star Wars and Star Wars in politics. And we can't wait to do that. Uh, I'm your host, Stephen Kent. You can find me on Twitter at Stephen underscore Kent. K-E-N-T 89. That's Stephen underscore Kent 89. And you can find Suara at Suara Saleh 1. That's S-W-A-R-A-S-A-L-I-H 1 on Twitter. You can find some of my work on Huffington Post and Newsweek as well. And folks, you can find us on BeltwayBanthas.com. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at BeltwayBanthas. And I do want to say something about my Twitter for the record. Um, I'm changing jobs, as I said earlier. I'm going to be a spokesperson for Young Voices. And there's going to be more politics on my Twitter feed than is normally the case. And I just sort of want that expectation going in that there's going to be lots of Star Wars on there for you. And I want to hear from you on all sorts of things. But there's also a lot of like hokey libertarian politics on my Twitter as well. (laughs) And so just so you know, come one, come all. Uh, But that's kind of what you're going to find there. And I can't wait to talk to you about whatever you want to talk about. Um, It does mean a lot to me every time someone wants to reach out and chat. Uh, Even you, Mike Harris, if you want to argue about something. Um, No, really, seriously, though. Um, Y'all, thank you so much. uh, And we will see you another week. May the Force be with you. May the Force be with you.